RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. Hey, Dusty, how's it going? Hey, Brian. I'm doing really well, man. How about you? Good. This is RPG Lessons Learned. If you notice this week, I'm starting off the show. That's because I am running the show this week. Yes, you are. I'm, I'm interviewing you about your uh, game at Mace. <laughs> yes. So we've talked about uh, the previous games that we played at Mace, including the excellent game that we played with DM Scotty, the Call of Cthulhu pulp game that didn't go so well. Uh, we also talked about the game that Mike and I played in Savage Worlds, which ended up not being a game about gummy bears. And uh, the first game of the night uh, that we played for the actually, I guess, for the weekend, which was the Terror on the Kataro, which was my second play of your phenomenal. It's BR, BRP, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, sorry. No, BRP is the chaos. It's BFRPG. I always screw up BFRPG. And, and I always BRP. say yes, even though even though the answer is no. I'm yeah. always like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, no. I always screw yes, this up. BFRPG. But uh, this was the last game that you played. Actually, no, you ran this game. Yes. This was, I, so in my mind, playing and running the games are almost interchangeable, but they're really not. I've never actually DM'd a game, so I, it's sort of hard for me to put myself in the, the shoes of a, of a GM. Yep. So my Mace schedule was I, I ran, the, the first game I, I, I did at Mace was the game that I ran, Terra and Kataro. Then we came in the next day to do um, Cthulhu, DM Scotty's Sanctuary of Sumohu, and then... You guys split off to, to do your Savage Worlds game, and then I ran my the second worst session I was in at Con, which is what we're going to talk about right now. And I'm the one that ran it. So this is an Avengers game, a 12th level game based in D and D five E. Yep. On a previous episode, we talked about medieval Avengers that we ran. That was my playtest to run it at Mace, and running it at Mace didn't go so great. I I I. I have criticized other DMs on the show, GMs on the show, and, and now it's my turn in the hot seat. So, in respect to that, what learnings did you bring from your previous play of this? The main learning, so when we played, one of my main takeaways was, you guys, the, these 12th level characters were built by Tribality.com. They're really great builds, but for copyright reasons, Tribality couldn't put any of the feet or spell text in these character sheets. So when we playtested, I literally just printed up the Tribality website for each of you know, and gave you guys, hey, pick, pick a character. And it listed the feats, but didn't define them. And you guys were spending a lot of time. You did one of two things. You guys adapted in one of two ways. You either spent a lot of time in the player's handbook looking stuff up. Which is normal. Yep. Or you said, screw it. And you did nothing but the pre-calculated basic attacks over and over and over again. So, Which is normal. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> But my takeaway was it didn't, you know, it didn't feel as 12th level as it could have because you guys didn't have all the information at your fingertips. So my biggest takeaway was to overcome that. Um, yeah, I'd say from, from our playtest session, that was the biggest thing that I walked away with. Um, I also walked away with a lot of good things, like using Carnage as the villain really seemed to work. And having, uh, having Chain Devils and Phase Spiders stand in for Carnage and his offspring, sort of a maximum Carnage, the the, the Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo video game, sort of having uh ha- having those monsters just simply be reskinned to to fit the bill of of Carnage and minions worked really really well. Um, so I, I walked away with a lot of good things from our playtest session. The main bad thing was you guys didn't play the twelfth level characters to the full extent 
of their abilities. So with the uh, character sheets from tribality.com, what did you do? What did you do to those sheets? How did you uh, go about oh God, uh, yeah. update, updating those? Yeah, um, that's the bulk of the work. I, I, I walked into the session, Brian, thinking it was going to be sweet as pie because I put in a ton of work on the character sheets. I put in a ton of work taking these tribality character sheets and adding the feet and spell text. Um, it, wherever it was in the SRD or the basic rules, like I copied and pasted. And if it wasn't, I cracked my player's handbook and I retyped it. But every spell, every feat, everything had complete explanations. Brian, in the character sheet design, I even had checkboxes. Like if, if a character could do, you know, so Scarlet Witch, right? She's a, she's a warlock. If she could do, you know, six spells or nine spells, I forget how many spells it was. Um, then I had nine checkboxes above the spell list. And, and I explained to the players, hey, you check those off. And then whenever I had checkboxes for anything that anyone could do, um, for the, for, for the battle masters, for their combat maneuvers, for, um, it, just anyone who, who had limited number of things they could do be- between short and long rest, after the checkboxes, I would either have SR or LR in parentheses to tell you when you could erase those checks after a short rest or a long rest. So I made these character sheets as usable as possible so that no one had to crack a player's handbook during play and they could play their 12th level characters like 12th level characters. So the tribality builds are excellent. Again, copyright reasons, they couldn't do what I did. Since I'm not releasing this and I just handed them out at my table, I just put all the text right there on the character sheet. You know, it's kind of funny. Um, one thing that I love that you did with this was adding the ability to erase based on a short rest or a long rest, because mm-hmm. I was just going to immediately say, well, what if you took a long rest? You would have to go to a new character sheet. But no, no, no. you had that built in. Yeah, the, the, the little tick box. You really thought of everything. I did. In that respect. Hey, I was good. If I had time, I was going to laminate the character sheets and hand out wet erase markers. But I, I didn't have time for that. And I thought, eh, pencils have erasers. Yeah. So... In respect to um, this, you brought character sheets with you. Uh, you yeah, didn't ten, bring ten character sheets. Ten, ten. <laughs> because, because there are two ver- two versions of Thor. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that's one reason. But Tribality did two articles. Tribality did the one article around the time Avengers two came out. Mm-hmm. That's when they did the bulk of the Avengers. And then when Civil War came out, there was a follow up article that had you know Black Panther. It had the Winter Soldier and a few others. Um, oh wait, those were an option. Yeah, holy crap! Not when you guys played. No, no. When you guys played, um, I'd only I'd only found that first tribality article that had the main Avengers. But yeah, I I did. Ooh, Black Panther. I did a love in character sheets like this, man. Like we mentioned a couple of shows ago about the 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 guy for the Cthulhu game putting in like forty to eighty hours in the character sheets. Dude, me too. Yeah. I, I put in a solid 60 hours. So in case... On the character In sheets. case those listening haven't listened before, I mean, there are other things that you bring along with you. Um, and just in respect to GMing a game, just freebies that you bring. You also brought dice, right? Oh, yeah. Everyone got to walk... Well, so that was more important for the Tarot of the Kataro because for, for every player at my table, they got a copy of the BFRPG core rules and a little box, a little tub of dice. Did you give everybody a copy of the the handbook for D&D 5e? This? No, I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. In fact, you know what? Side rant. And I'm going to seem like such a Scrooge here. Okay. And I don't care. On Reddit, there's thread after thread after thread of people like begging for players' handbooks because there's other threads where super generous people send players' handbooks out for free. And it blows my mind. And I'll tell you why. 
D&D 5e is so playable for free. For free, yeah. The it's SRD, on the website. Yeah, the SRD is out there for free. The basic rules are out there for free. Um, two, two versions of basic rules, that's pl- how, players and DMs. That's how we originally played. Yeah, it blows my mind that, that people are out there, you know, and, and the books are so reasonably priced. So, yeah, side rant. No, I didn't give out, um, 5e stuff. And it kind of annoys me on Reddit when I see these massively upvoted threads where some dude who's super generous sends out five players' handbooks and a monster manual to some guy. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So, I don't understand this. Does he? Is it something that he already has, or is he buying it for somebody? He's buying it for somebody. Now, in, in some cases, sure, right? But I've seen threads where people ask for them. Like, hey, I'd love to play. I, you know, I don't have the money to get into it right now. Um, and I think you see some of that behavior because there are a well-known couple of Redditors that send out free stuff, free 5e stuff. And on the one hand, I want to applaud it, but I guess I'm such a cynic about it. I've seen it so much that I'm like, mm, some of these people are taking advantage. Yeah. And you can you can have a very complete 5e experience for free. Yeah, you absolutely can. Uh, so getting back to this, yeah, yeah, sorry. leading up to the event, so Mace, their website uses Ogre as their management system. Yep. Did you happen to log in just to see who had signed up for your game? Did you have any preconceived notions or any preconceptions about the players? Was there anything that you were worried about in respect to who might be playing or anything like that? Or did you just go in and, you know, didn't even think twice about it other than how many people were at your table? Yeah, so yes and no, right? On the one hand, yes, uh, you as the game master can see who signed up for your game. Um, Having said that, I I did not Google anyone. I did not social media. I didn't look up anyone. There was no one that was particularly intimidating. Um I didn't recognize any names from the industry, nothing like that. So, no, I didn't look anyone up or I didn't really care who played. Here's what I did care about, though, Brian. The game filled up in, like, two days. Really? Yeah, and two days can sound really slow. Like, I guess some cons, within five minutes of Ogre opening, games are filled up. Yeah, I mean, the DM Scotty game was not even full. Yeah, even the celebrity DM game at Mace didn't didn't fill up like that. So, I had registered two games on Ogre, the the terror Terror on the Kataro. And this Medieval Avengers game. And Medieval Avengers, two days after after Ogre opened, boom, it's full. Six players. Terror on the Kataro never actually filled up. Yeah. So we had a great, complete table. We had more than enough players. I think we had five people. But uh, what did take me aback, Brian, is how quickly Medieval Avengers filled Why up. Why do you think that is? Is it because it was 5E and that's a very fairly accessible game? Or is it because it was the Avengers it, or was it because it was Saturday night? You know, great question. Um, because Saturday night, I don't know. I don't think so. I think there were a lot of other options on Saturday night, and I think mine filled up before those did. So it wasn't just a Saturday night thing. Uh, I think it. I think it's two things. One of my players actually said, and I quote: "Superhero games always fill up so fast. I was glad I grabbed a spot in this one." So I think superhero games must fill up quick. And sure enough, when I, you know, Mace. When you walk in, yes, there's Ogre, but as a great little keepsake item, they hand out these little booklets of all the scheduled games. So after you said that, I flipped through it uh, when I got home that night, and sure enough, I didn't see many superhero games at all. Interesting. So, so partially superhero. Back to your 5e comment, yeah, I think that had to do with it too, because there's a lot of, there's a ton of 5e, there's a ton of Pathfinder, organized play. There were a ton 
of Adventurers League and Pathfinder Society games, like the official yeah. organized play. There's a ton of those. And then, you know, there's definitely a lot of 5e stuff outside of that, but not as much as you, and, you know, if you're looking for 5e games, my game was, was, was one of the ones that you'd, that, that would pop up. In my mind, 5e is still relatively new. So there are probably a lot of people out there who still haven't played it. Um, I mean, it's, it's their best selling edition, man. Yeah. Don't disagree with that. Okay. I, I don't disagree with that, but. I know other people who game, and I can't tell you how many of them still play, they only play Pathfinder, or they only play 3E. Some of them do AD&D. A good friend of mine basically only plays AD&D years later. So I, I think there's not one specific zeitgeist when it comes to gaming. I, so in your defense, here's what I'll say. At my table, I had... Let me see here. Let me think about my players real quick. I had one gentleman who told me that he was curious to try 5e and wanting to, to convert his home Pathfinder group to 5e. I probably wouldn't do that. Um, well, it depends. I think, I think they're about you, pretty, you, I think you, they're, I think they're pretty interchangeable. I, I agree with that. I wholeheartedly agree with that, but I will say this 5e, the math is a little easier. And I think your, your view of Pathfinder is colored. By the fact that's that, what we're playing right now. Well, no, by the fact that we limited our campaign to the beginner box. Good point. And the beginner box is so manageable. Outside the beginner box, Pathfinder is a whole hairball of just a crap ton of options. So, depending on the types of players that you're dealing with, who want to pull in splat books and rule books from all over the place, you can. It's it's possible to have very very broken characters in Pathfinder, broken in terms of like game breaking. Yeah. Um. I think most groups can be mature enough to overcome that and just agree not to do that. But it, it's it's so much more possible in Pathfinder. You know what? Here's a better way to put it. Pathfinder has a lot more overhead. How about that? Okay. Yeah, that makes I mean, it's been around longer. Well, and it has the whole 3.5 legacy. Yeah. We're, at, we're finally at Mace. It's Saturday night. You are starting to prep the table. This was, this was after our ill-fated Call of Cthulhu game. Yeah, we went and got some lunch. No, actually, no. We, had, we did Cthulhu, we went and got lunch, we just played in DM Scotty's game. DM Scotty finished up early, which I was delighted by. Yes. Because I was able to, number one, it's a great game, and number two, I was able to prep for this game. So I sat down, and I got my table ready. I, I, my 11 character sheets and my table tents, I set those out. To your point about the freebies, I gave everyone a, a tub of dice. Um, I set my little tubs of dice out so people could have their freebies. I set out my mechanical pencils that I, that I, you know, I let everyone have a mechanical pencil. No big, no big deal. Super cheap. I set out all my stuff and got my table ready. I got all my minis ready, and I had two props, two very small props compared to uh, Terror on the Kataro. I did not have a boat. Two very small props, and I had all my maps, and I set my maps up in a, in a chair. What maps did you use? I grabbed all of... So I backed a Kickstarter that Arknight did a couple of years ago, where it was like 200 maps printed um tabloid size 11 by 17 i brought my entire collection of those because i wanted to run this game in a very open way like i don't know where you might go but wherever you go i'll have a map for it was was how i was trying to approach this avengers game Uh, and that worked pretty well pretty well actually having those maps was great i was able to pretty quickly pull out what i needed so got everything all set up and i was ready for players so at this point 
you'd played the game before. We've, we've run a lot of 5e games. Mm-hmm. Were you anxious at that point? Yeah, I hadn't run 5e in a while. We had been running Pathfinder at home. I'd studied up on the rules of 5e to get back into it. I'd run it a lot. I ran it a lot for us for a long time. For like a year and a half, we, we played the heck out of 5e. But I hadn't run it in like a couple of months. So, yeah, I was pretty nervous about that. And I kept reading and rereading and rereading the rules. I did screw up a couple of rules things. My main problem with D20 games is that I, I know too many now. Yeah. I have too many. Like, what happens when you get to zero hit points? Oh, crap. I know like three different answers to that. Which one applies? I can't remember. Um, and that, I mean, that happens to us while we play yeah, all the time. Yeah, it does. It does. That's the, that's the problem with, with knowing so many systems. Um, but yeah, I was nervous about the rules. And it, some of that was justified because I did screw up. Someone asked me about charging, and I gave a fourth edition answer to charging, which is that everyone could charge, which isn't actually the case anymore. But, um, but basically, I, I basically got the rules right. Um, I knew the rules well enough, and I'm familiar enough with, with, with D20 systems that I was able to hand wave and, and explain things well enough that people went along with it. So I don't think anyone had terrible issues with my rulings, but that's what I was most nervous about. So you were at the table, people started rolling in. Yep. And it got to well, what? It started to what? Seven or eight? I think it was eight. I think. Yeah, it was an eight to midnight game. So, so people are at the table at seven thirty. Yeah, like people are at the table early, and I was letting them choose. So the way it started is okay. These character sheets, these character sheets that I've already described. Uh, let me describe them physically. At a minimum, they're front a page, front and back, full page. Some of them were big enough that it was a legal size page, um, eight eight and a half by fourteen, front and back. And then poor Scarlet Witch, since she has so many freaking spells, was a six-page booklet. Uh, you know, six normal-sized pages, six eight and a half by by eleven-inch pages booklet. So people are choosing these character sheets, and at first, everyone's really intimidated by the character sheets. Like that—I was about the, to ask that. Yeah, that's the first impression of the game, Brian. As, as players walk up, is they're like, "Holy crap!" You know, glancing because it's a, it's a lot of text in the character sheet. But in every case, I'd put a lot of headings. In the character sheet, like here, are your, here's offense, here's defense, here are skills, here's this, here's that. A ton of headings to make it really easy to navigate on the fly. I worked, so technical writer by training, right? My degree is actually in English technical writing. So I, I, I did every document trick I know to make these character sheets as usable as possible. So once I, I, every player, I had the same conversation. Hey, pick out your character. Wow, there's a lot here. Yeah, but let me explain this to you. Hey, all these rules are on here so that you don't have to reference your player's handbook. And people, like a light went on, and people were like, oh, great. And then, hey, here's how these checkboxes work. Here's how these tick boxes work. And here's how to find everything you need. Oh, great. Boom. Lights are on, and, and, and people got it. I didn't see any resistance to the character sheets once I explained them. So all the work that I had poured into those, justified. And if I can skip ahead a bit, my players played these 12th level characters very intelligently. And and I, we never finished, Brian, the commentary on 5e and the attraction to 5e. I had one player wanting to convert his Pathfinder game to 5e. I had another player who'd never played 5e at all. Um, both she and he, she played the, the one who was new to 5e, she played the Scarlet Witch like a boss. You know, a 12th level warlock, fairly complicated spells, Played her like a boss. You happen to recall what system she was familiar with? No, I don't remember. Uh, people, I think she was one of the late arrivals, and we were about to get started. 
But uh, point is, the character sheet, the work I put into the character sheets, by God, that paid off. That's not what went wrong. So what did go wrong? What went wrong was combat. So combat, everything about it was bad. So combat had three things going against it, all of which were bad. Combat was easy, combat was boring, and combat was slow. So all three of those things, combat just sucked. Uh, My first combat, Brian, by design, as we've already discussed in a previous episode, it's meant to be a test drive of the character. It's Mm -hmm. meant to be an easy combat against Hydra to let you test drive the characters. Fair enough. It's supposed to be easy. The next combat against some of Carnage's baddies was not supposed to be easy. And I kind of had an oh crap moment when none of my players got touched. So you didn't go in and modify the rules in any way. This was straight up 5e. Straight up 5e using the CR rules out of the DMG. Like I, I am choosing monsters and CR levels based on the CR rules for a table of six players. And we've, we've discussed before that CR is broken. Yeah. Well, it's so hard. I recognize what Wizards has to face. It's so hard to, to figure out how do you challenge a variety of tables with different skill sets, with different tactical abilities. It's really hard. So for Wizards to, to build a rule system that works for everyone, nigh impossible. And there's already a lot of great discussion on the internet about how CR is basically broken. But I was trying to use it as a guideline. Brian, <laughs> I'm gonna while, while I discipline myself, I'm going to brag a little bit. The character sheets were too damn good. People were using their, tw- their, their, their 12th level characters to the best of their abilities. Um, so unlike when we play tested it, and you guys were using basic attacks. And combat's broken when you have to look up something. Yeah. So because you guys were using basic attacks for the most part, what I attuned in difficulty for you guys, when I got a group of players that had really good character sheets, where all the powers were right there at their fingertips, man, they freaking nailed my monsters. So if combat was too easy, how, too did, easy. how, did, how did the table respond to that? Oh, man. Um, as we left for the night, and I said, hey, any feedback? One of, the, one of the guys, the guy that played Hawkeye, right away said, oh, it just wasn't challenging. And I respect him for saying that, and I knew it. Brian, I knew it. Um, I, combat, I thought about pulling levers during the session to make it harder. But my other problem with, with, with combat was it was slow. As easy as it was and unchallenging as it was, it was also freaking slow. It took forever to get around the table. And people were doing smart things. People were rolling their D20 and their damage dice at the same time so that all their dice, hit or miss, all their dice are rolled. Um, we, we did all the tricks. It just took forever. It was six players and then a fair number of monsters to challenge them for the minion fights. It just took forever to get around the table. So anything I would have done to make the fights harder would have made them slower. So that would have been tough. So one of the uh, rules that you often pull out or the levers you often pull is to double their damage and half their hit points. Yeah, for 4E, that was my go-to solution, and that worked great. Um, I didn't want to yank on the math that much mid-session. I, I didn't feel that confident. I didn't feel that good about it. In, in hindsight, sh- do you think you should have done that? <sighs> no, not at the session. Uh, God knows what would have happened. In hindsight, uh, in hindsight, I should have playtested again with you guys with those character sheets. It didn't occur to me as I pushed on these character sheets and made them so much more usable that it was going to make combat a lot. It should have occurred to me that combat would be easier. It's such a no-brainer now. But as I'm working on the character sheets, all I'm thinking about is, hey, Looking up feats and spells was a problem. 
I fixed that problem. It's going to be a great game. That's all I thought. Combat's only part of a great game, though. So, how with with a group of strangers at the table, what was the role play like? Oh, it was fine. Uh, role play, I kept it pretty light. It was definitely present. I wanted some. So, my my props, right? My first prop I pulled out was an eye patch. So, I had a great, well, great for me. It was, it was brief, and it got a laugh, and it got reactions, which is what I was looking for. I had a brief role play session where I played Abbott Nicholas the Furious. And I did the Samuel L. Jackson thing. So when they finished the Hydra fight, and I said, okay, you're back at the Holy Order of the Shield, you know, making everything medieval. And Abbot Nicholas the Furious shows up. Boom. I pull this eye patch out of my pocket, and I get it on my head as fast as I can. And people are laughing at the table. And I break into a bunch of Samuel L. Jackson quotes. Brian, my pride and joy moment from this session, the best moment from the session, was when I explained that, okay, okay, Avengers, you're being sent, you know, our our shield sears s-e-e-r-s have detected you know breaks in this in this plane of existence and they've detected these these dark shapes coming through and that's that's of course referring to the symbiotes but the players didn't know that yet but i ended that whole thing with so basically you've got to get these mother flipping shapes off this mother flipping plane and i was so proud of that half my players totally lost it because they'd seen snakes on a plane um, and the half who hadn't, the players explained it to him. Like the other players yeah. explained it to him. So great moment. In fact, uh, one of my players called me out. She was like, uh, I was waiting for common mother flipper. Do you speak it? And I wish, I that wish, was, I wish I'd said that. Hey, if so, yeah, this, this, well, this was, this was one, one takeaway is yeah. that I'm, I would, I would get a list of Samuel yes. L. Jackson quotes. Together in a, in a way, this was a play test. You could run it again. Yes, and I think we should. And I've done so much work on the character sheets that I want to. Yeah, that, let's that's put, a, let's that's do a, it. That's a huge sunk cost. I, you know, I would do it. I would play it again, especially with this. I, if I could play Black Panther or something different, absolutely, I, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Black Panther's available. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So uh, the props. One was an eye patch. What was the other prop? The other one was a gem. I pulled out this big gem that that Clytos, you know, Cletus Cassidy, yeah, that Clytos had used to break through the planes. And I pulled out this gem, and uh, one of my players—I forget what he said—but it was it was some gem that's appeared in Marvel Comics before. He was like, "Oh no, it's the so and so so and so gem." And I had this blank look on my face because I had no idea what he was talking about. And he kind of looked at me and goes, "Or maybe it isn't." I wish I had known what was. In fact, I've got to look that up. I've got to look up famous gems in the Marvel universe. I mean, I I know uh, a couple. We'll, I have we'll, no idea. Yeah, yeah, we'll look it up later. But. uh I had some people that, at my table that knew the comic books better than I did. I was going for kind of a cinematic universe type feel, which worked and everything was fine. Don't get me wrong. That all worked fine. But, uh, yeah, my, my takeaway is I would find some way to fix combat. God, combat was the biggest problem, Brian. I walked away from the session super down in the mouth because combat sucked. And combat was a majority of the time we spent at the table. And it was boring and slow and crappy, and I feel awful for having run it. So when they created these character sheets, they created them at the twelfth level. So they, they tribality, yes. tribality. So if it's already broken, why not do it at level twenty? God, man, um, I want to keep it at twelfth level. Uh, well, so the character sheets aren't what's broken, and I don't even—it's it, the system. I don't even know. Well, I mean, calling five E broken is really tough because five E is so play tested, and it's meant to be so rock solid. I think what's broken for me is. I don't know. I've got to figure out combat. It's either CR, it's the system, yeah, all of the above. I don't know. Until I fix it, I don't want to diagnose it. But part of the way I'm going to fix it is, I 
to make combat, combat's got to be shorter and more difficult. You got to treat the symptoms. Yeah. How in the hell do you make combat shorter and more difficult? I can make it more difficult. I know how to do that. I know how to add hit points and increase AC. It's going to make it longer. And no one at my table would have wanted that because combat was already taking for freaking ever. So the only thing I think of, Brian, right now is my fourth edition solution of making monsters hit freaking hard, doubling their damage, but making them go down fast or you mean, and half their hit points. Yeah, I mean, you may, you could probably you could probably also tweak maybe dropping their AC by one or two. Just there are probably ways around it. I sure. Think, I, think if, I think if you drop their AC by one or two... It enhances the ability of the the of Captain America or whoever. It makes them more superheroic. But I mean, with that being said, you could also have to, you could also attack the damage as well because because they hit harder. They I need them to hit harder because I, I I got not, I mean I need I want short furious combats. That's not what I got. So diagnosing it going back was it was it running forever because. They weren't hitting because it just took so long to wear them down. It was a lot of enemies because I, I did a lot of enemies to, to really challenge them. Because I, I, my, my plot device was that Carnage's symbiote was reproducing. So in, infecting lots of people with symbiotes. So a lot of enemies. So it took me a while to get through my turn. But then also, I mean, attacking different targets, different targets, different targets. It just took a long time to get through that. And also, six players, it just took a long time to get around the table. Yeah. So I may have only had, for my monsters, like two turns, because we only went around the table, you know, two and a half times. And speaking of going around the table, but it just that, took a while. is that how you handled initiative? Yeah, I, I knew initiative rolling dice would be a problem. So I just figured out who the highest dex character was, and it was Hawkeye. So Hawkeye and I would roll off. And he was to my immediate right. If he won, he went first, and I didn't go until it came back to me. If I won, I went first, and then he went. But either way, we went around counterclockwise. So I, I wanted to keep initiative really simple, and I'm glad I did that because my God, handling whose turn is it now? Oh, it's your t- like that would have been even worse. So going around the table was the right solution for initiative, and the roll offs were the right solution. It's just man, I, I tough to not get my monsters. Tough to only have two turns with my monsters, and it still took forever. Yeah. So, first, with that workaround, that hack with initiative, I like that. I think that works really well, because we've been doing that, right? Uh, we've started to at our yeah. home table, yeah. Yeah, I, I like that, and that's what DM Scotty did, and it just made a lot of sense. So, you had your props. Roleplay sounds like it went pretty well. Combat sounds like it was a slog. Combat w- w- was... Man, I would love to quote Steve Austin and, and call it the drizzling something, but <laughs> we keep this podcast PG. Yeah, combat sucked, man. I did a terrible job with combat. I did a terrible job. I should have playtested my combats more. Um, I had playtested with you guys, but not with the better character sheets. Yeah, I just it's on me. It's 100% on me. People paid money to be in my game, and I ran them through boring, easy combats. I mean, and that sucks, what- and, I, and I've got to fix that. So, with that being said, did you ask for feedback? Did you give out cards, or did you just ask casually? I didn't even give out the cards, man. Um, I knew it was bad. I guess, in a way, I didn't have the guts to give out the cards, but but I just couldn't face giving out the cards. I knew the problem. It's one of those things where, for Terror on the Kataro, I wanted to give out the cards because I wanted to see things that weren't obvious to me. And, hey, I got some stuff. And, and in hindsight, I thought about some feedback I got from that game even more. 
and I could see improvements I could make that weren't immediately evident. In this game, the changes that I need, needed to make were immediately evident. So all I did was I said, hey, any feedback? And two of the guys really stayed behind and chatted with me for a bit afterwards. Um, it made me feel a little bit better. They said that they enjoyed certain parts of the game, but we all agreed that combat sucked. And no one... So when I, when I initially asked for feedback and the one guy said it wasn't challenging... No one disagreed. Yeah. No one disagreed. It was so obvious, man, that I, I didn't need to give out the cards. I knew I've got to fix that problem. And once I fix that, then I would want to give out cards to say, okay, now that the, the game basically works, now that it, right now the game doesn't even compile to use a code reference. Yeah. It doesn't even compile. I'm getting compiler errors. Combat sucks. Got to debug it. I've got to debug it. Once it runs, then I'll get user feedback. So RPG Lessons Learned is all about becoming a better player and a better GM. Yep. And there are different aspects to playing games. And we've sort of talked about how combat didn't work, the role plays. But one thing as a GM, and even as a player, you have to account for this, the other people at the table. Did you encounter any type of player archetypes or uh, personality types that you hadn't encountered before? Not really, man. I had a great table of players, and I'm not blowing smoke. I don't think I gave out the RPG lessons learned cards to anyone, so I don't think anyone's listening. So I'm not blowing smoke at all. Really, both the games that I ran, great, great tables. The game that we ran, Terra Lictaro, great. I mean, the one guy that left, talked to him later. He's a really cool guy. Yeah. So um, did I see some stereotypes around the con? As we discussed in our very bleary... Well, I said archetypes. We saw stereotypes. Okay, but, archetypes. Yeah. Player archetypes, like the Slayer, the the Explorer. No, not really, man. People engage with the content that I put in front of them. People ran with stuff. Um, that was good. We, we had a great um, Captain America slash Iron Man both trying to take over and run how the investigation went, which was kind of a great civil war. Like I even called it out as, hey, look at this. We've got civil war right here um, because they were trying to hash out between the two of them how to approach the investigation. So that was funny. I had great active players, Brian. Um, did anyone like rules lawyer me? No. Um, did anybody try to break the game like specifically like with their gin? With their gen, going back to a, a previous episode, and we had a player. Oh, oh, yeah, at the, the, table. the the D G I N D D J I N N gen. Yeah. yeah, sorry. No, uh, in fact, Brian, one of my players, the guy who played Hulk, really cool guy. Uh, he asked me at the beginning before we even started. So he's doing the right thing as a player. Yeah, he's level setting with the GM before the session even starts. He says, "Now, what kind of Hulk is this? Is this like a jump around and throw buildings Hulk?" And I was like, no, 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 you're not, not quite that powerful. We are sticking to 5e, rules as written. So they're, they're, on the character sheet, it's very encouraged for you to use anything and everything you can as an improvised weapon, but try to stick to you know, the math on the character sheet so we don't break the game. And he, he heard that, he, and he took that very well, and he had a lot of fun in the session being Hulk and embodying that Marvel Cinematic Universe character without jumping 30 feet in the air um, he, he he was able to justify some of his movement speed by saying, "Okay, I'm going to call this a leap." You know, absolutely, man, go for it. And for his improvised weapons, at one point, he grabbed one bad guy and used him as an improvised weapon, and I allowed it. So we definitely had the rule of cool, um, but we stuck to the five E math. So great players who asked me about the boundaries up front and then stuck to them. So no, no one tried to break my game. I didn't need any help. I had broken it plenty myself. With my monsters, with my terrible monster selection and terrible combat running. 
well, you know what? You learn from it. That's all that that's all that matters really ultimately. Yeah, I I still don't know what I learned though. Combat was both too long and too if it had been easy and short, I would say, okay, no problem. Increase AC, increase hit points. The lesson learned is play test. Yeah, well it's play test and play, it's test. play with the math. And maybe to your point, Brian, maybe I should have just chosen entirely different monsters that were just a higher CR. And maybe that would have been Yeah, I don't know. We we will, if you guys don't mind, we will play test this. I am a okay with and that. And I am going to run this again until I get it right. Yes, absolutely. I love it. Anything else? No, that's it, man. Combat was bad. I, I can't emphasize enough how bad combat was, and I want to say it just to say, you know, we gave the Call of Cthulhu GM a hard time. We gave the Savage World GM a bit of a hard time. And I want to say, hey, you know what? We We give and we can get. I was a bad GM on that day, and I gave those players a bad experience, and I feel terribly about that. Well, the five E gods giveth, and the five E gods taketh Take it away. away. Yeah, yeah, and I've, I've got to figure out how to how to overcome. So I will do that. Awesome. Well, everybody out there, thank you for listening to RPG Lessons Learned. You can find us online at rpglessonslearned dot com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter at rpgll podcast. We'll see you next week. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned, and we're sharing ours with you.